Well, Matthew chapter 5 is on page 968 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin with a quote from a film. Uh, Some of you may know what this film uh, is, uh, but the quote uh, is helpful in understanding uh, the opposite of what the next beatitude is talking about. Uh, And it's a film, uh, in fact I won't tell you what the film is to start with, I'll tell you what it it is after, so some of you might want to guess what it is. So here's the quote, it says, uh, There be the chest, inside be the gold, and we took them all. We spent and traded them, frittered them away on drink and food and pleasurable company. The more we gave them away, the more we came to realize the drink would not satisfy. Food turned to ash in our mouths, and all the pleasurable company in the world would not slake our lust. We are cursed men. Compelled by greed we were, but now we are consumed by it. Well, the film is the Pirates of the Caribbean. And in the film, uh, the, the crew of the Black Pearl are cursed because of stealing gold from a chest that was cursed. And the curse was such that they became uh, the walking dead and they existed in a sort of half-life where one of the consequences was, as the captain of the ship who was just speaking said, the drink would not satisfy and food turned to ash in our mouths. And although Disney, who made the film, probably didn't mean it in this way, it is an excellent illustration of how sin makes people like the living dead in such a way that nothing in this cursed world can ever satisfy our deep hunger and thirst. Now, people hunger and thirst for satisfaction, and they seek it through power, uh, through possessions, through pleasure, uh, through praise of other people. But this kind of food and drink leaves us empty and never satisfies. You can go after all the power. You'd always want more. The possessions always get old or out of date. The pleasure wanes over time. And the praise, well, you need more of it. And more of it, and more of it. And it becomes kind of hollow after a while. It's like going to the doctor with a pain, and the doctor gives you pain relief, but you have to keep going back to get more pain relief. Now the pain is a sign of something deeper. You need to cure the disease. Otherwise the pain is going to keep coming back. And this dissatisfaction that we have in our lives is a pain that can only be dealt with if the disease is dealt with. So people try and deal with dissatisfaction with power, possessions, praise and pleasure and so on. But the disease is sin and we need Jesus. Jesus comes and offers us filling for our hunger and quenching for our thirst. In the Gospel of John... We see this taught clearly by Jesus. 
Jesus met a woman at a well. And she had been seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. This is what Jesus said to her in John chapter 4 and verse 14. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And then in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people so that all had enough to eat. And the Bible makes a point of saying that all were satisfied. And he did this from some uh, five loaves, small, small loaves of bread and two fish. But the miracle had a much greater truth. And in John chapter 6, Jesus says this in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hunger and thirst in the Bible are used as a symbol for those inner longings for satisfaction. And Jesus says only he can provide that. He provides water, which means we will never thirst because it wells up inside us from him. And he offers us bread that we will never be hungry again. Nothing else. No power, no pleasure, no amount of praise, no amount of possessions can give you that. And the reason Jesus is able to provide them is because he came to save us from the very thing that causes the curse and makes all of this food turn to ash in our mouths. That is sin. He cures us from the disease Because sin separates us from God, and separation from God is separation from the source of satisfaction. And in order to be in a right relationship to God, we need to be righteous. And so it's righteousness that we need, and it's righteousness which Jesus brings. And so in the fourth beatitude, we see it is therefore righteousness that we need to hunger and to thirst for to be satisfied because it's righteousness that puts us in a right relationship with God. It is righteousness which, if lived out, is what our Creator designed us to be satisfied with. And so in the fourth beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This means that there is a direct correlation between being satisfied and being holy. There is a direct correlation between being satisfied and being holy. Now again, this is, as with all of these Beatitudes, isn't it, completely countercultural. The world tells us we need to be free from all rules. Free from all rules, be be totally liberated from any kind of person or religion that tells you what to do. Whereas Jesus says, no, true freedom and true satisfaction comes, not necessarily from just any religion, but by being under God's rule. God's rule. 
Satisfaction can only come from Jesus Christ. And to understand this beatitude clearly and, and what this all means, it means we need to understand the terms. And the first thing we need to understand is what is meant by hungering and thirsting. Now, for us, uh, uh, I think I speak for all of us, but I certainly speak for myself. When I think of hungering and thirsting, I think of when I've missed a meal through choice or maybe through busyness or because I've exercised and I need energy uh, and I, I think I'm hungry or I'm thirsty. When I was a teenager, um, whenever my mum got in from work, uh, she'd always ask, how was your day or how are you doing? And I'd always say, I'm starving. I'm starving. What time's dinner? That was, that was my first response to my mum whenever she walked through the door when I was a teenager. But most of us don't really know what it's really like to be starving. We only have to look at pictures at the moment of the humanitarian crisis going on in East Africa where there are 16 million people on the brink of starvation and urgently need food. That is not where we are. But when Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting here, that is what he means. In Palestine at this time, uh, when Jesus ministered, people would eat meat perhaps once in a week. And families often lived close to the borderline between hunger and starvation. And clean water was a precious commodity that not everybody had. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness isn't just, um, I'm just, I'm a bit hungry. This is starving. I'm starving. And I'm so thirsty that, that I, because I haven't drank for such a long time. Because what those people need physically more than anything else is hunger, is food, sorry, and water. If you were to go uh, to East Africa and you took a whole bunch of flowers with you, no one's going to appreciate you coming. You need to bring food and water. And when Jesus talks about what we need more than anything else, the food and the drink that we are starving and thirsting for, he says it's righteousness that you need more than anything else. Hunger, righteousness or being holy is the number one need that we have and it should be the number one ambition and goal of all of our lives. And we can understand why this is when we put it in the context of the Beatitudes. So, so far we have seen three Beatitudes before we come to this one. The first one, I am poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So that means I am, I am nothing before God. And because of sin, I am absolutely spiritually bankrupt. I cannot save myself. There's nothing I can do. I can only cry for mercy to God. And when we look at God and we see, yes, he, he saves us. I can, I can cling to the cross. But we see God's holiness and our sin and it causes us to mourn over our sin. We, we hate sin. Christians hate sin. They repent of sin and they realize how in the light of God's holiness we're saved by amazing grace. So we're poor in spirit and we mourn over sin and this causes us then to be meek. That is to, to submit ourselves to God and to treat others gently and bear with them realizing that, that we're no better than they are. But as we try and do that, we realize we still fall short. I'm not what I ought to be still. 
And I'm still seeing God's holiness. I'm still seeing how glorious God is. And I'm seeing how I'm falling short of of what I ought to be, even though I'm a Christian. And so we hunger and thirst for that righteousness that makes us what we ought to be before God. Because we know, as we mourn over sin, that nothing is greater than being right with God. The sign of a genuine Christian is not perfection, but it is a longing for righteousness. If you go to the doctors with an illness, one of the questions you'll often get asked is this, how is your appetite? It's a sign of health, isn't it? If you've lost your appetite and you you don't want to eat at all, you're not well, and eventually you would die. Or, if you've lost your appetite a little bit, you're, you're eating a bit, but you're not really that hungry, you're ill, and you need help. And tonight's message in this beatitude really is asking you the question, how is your appetite? How is your appetite? And for this, we're going to look at righteousness, which is the key word really in this beatitude, in four different ways. If you want to continue using the illustration of food, it's like a four-course meal uh, where righteousness is cooked four different ways. And the first area of righteousness where we are filled is legal righteousness. Legal righteousness relates to our standing with God. So in the Old Testament, for example, in Isaiah, uh, righteousness and salvation are always linked together. I'm just going to read you uh, three verses from Isaiah uh, just to show you how righteousness and salvation is are linked here. Isaiah 46, verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted, you who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near, it is not far away, and my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. So notice that they're, they're far away from God's righteousness, but he's bringing his righteousness near and it's, it's salvation. Then Isaiah 55 verse 5, My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. And then Isaiah 56 verse 1. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. And when Jesus came, he is the salvation. He is the the righteousness from God that has come and brings us salvation. He comes to make us right with God. And the Bible teaches us that by dying in our place on the cross... We are saved from our sin by Jesus dying in our place. Jesus is perfectly righteous. He's the only one that never sinned. And he bears the penalty for our sin and he credits us with his righteousness. So we are legally righteous before God. Legally right with God. Uh, Just a couple of verses to see that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. And then we read this this morning in the book of Romans. Romans uh, contains the word righteousness more than the rest of the New Testament put together. Paul uh, writes this in Romans chapter 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified there means being made legally righteous before God. Now, this hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness is filled completely by God when our sins are forgiven. When, when Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he's not primarily talking about this because we don't need to strive for it. Once uh, we've asked God to forgive our sin and we put our faith in what Christ has done on the cross, we are completely filled with that legal righteousness. So we could read this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for legal righteousness, for they will be filled, and that's been done now for us. It's, it's finished. But this righteousness, this legal righteousness, is a well that we can continue to drink from and refresh us. For example, the Lord's table is a way that we keep eating and drinking in this righteousness. The Lord's table doesn't save us, but it gives us the opportunity to be reminded again of the filling we've received through the death of Jesus Christ. It reminds us, it refreshes us. And so I ask you, how is your appetite here? That is, are you still thankful for what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Are you continually amazed at the fact that you are right with God? Or does it just pass you by? When you take the Lord's Supper, are you just eating the bread and drinking the cup without thinking about what God has done and what he's reminding us of through the elements? Although we don't strive for legal righteousness, we do strive for a fuller understanding of it and a greater experience of it. Our legal righteousness is given to us completely when we're Christians, but we still want to know more of it, and, it, and, 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 and we, we should grow in our love for it. And if you have no hunger for finding out more about what God has done for you, if your heart doesn't leap for joy when you think of all that we heard this morning, then you're spiritually not very well. Our legal righteousness is given to us completely. But one way that we know that it's been given to us is that God changes us. We don't strive for legal righteousness. We've received it. But what we do strive for is more of the next aspect of righteousness. That is moral righteousness. The theological word for legal righteousness is justification which means we've been made right with God. We're legally right with God. The word for moral righteousness is sanctification. And that means we're being made more like God. And Christians hunger and thirst to be more like Jesus, to be holy. 
which should be our greatest aim and ambition. So consider for a moment, if I was to ask you, and I'm, I'm asking you really, what is, what is it that you want more than anything else in your life? What do you want more than anything else? If I could say, you can have this right now after the service, what is it you would say you would want? Does holiness come into your thoughts at all? Because it ought to. Parents, this should be our number one ambition for our children too. When you think of where you want your children to be in 10 or 20 years' time, does holiness come into your thoughts at all? It ought to. As we'll see uh, shortly, we should hunger and thirst for their righteousness and for other people's righteousness too. So what really is moral righteousness? Well, it's conformity to the will of God. And so it's a delight in his word, which is where he wants us, it shows us how he wants us to live. And this is an active thing that we should be striving for. Notice how Jesus does not say in this beatitude, blessed are those who have hungered and thirsted for righteousness. But those who hunger and thirst, it's an ongoing thing. We're continuing to hunger. Paul describes it in uh, these ways. We read this earlier in the Bible reading. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says, And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the, all the fullness of God. That is, we're not there yet. We, we, haven't, we haven't got the measure of the fullness of God. But we should long to be filled with that. All various ways of saying, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And we are to be continually hungry and thirsty for holiness. Always realising we're not quite there yet. We're not blessed if in the past we have hungered and thirsted. But we're not hungering and thirsting now. If you've lost your appetite for holiness then you are unwell spiritually. So let's ask ourselves, how is our appetite for moral righteousness? Here's a quote from a Scottish preacher, Thomas Guthrie. If you find yourself loving any pleasure better than your prayers, any book better than the Bible, any house better than the house of God, any table better than the Lord's table, any person better than Christ, any indulgence better than the hope of heaven, take alarm. Very challenging, isn't it? Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. But moral righteousness, hungering and thirsting after it, is in this sense very practical. Just as you take time to eat physical food, so we must take time to eat the spiritual food which God has set before us. The, the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Bible reading, prayer, church, and such like. We pursue these things because they are the means by which God has given us to make us holy. And we strive for them with discipline because we know that true blessing is found in righteousness. So God is saying, here is a feast for you 
to eat from. He's given us uh, all of these uh, various gifts. Prayer is a gift. The Bible is a gift. The church, is, they're all gifts from God. They, he has given us to help us in our righteousness. And on this point, I would say that for me, in, in our home, I always find I eat better if I have a plan of what I'm going to eat before I go and buy my food. Otherwise, it ends up just being junk, doesn't it? And I think it's true also with our spiritual food. Have a plan about what, how you're going to read the Bible, how you're going to pray, when you're going to pray, and all those kind of things, and get into the habit of regularly doing that. A Christian that has no appetite for reading the Bible and for praying is a sick Christian or not a Christian at all. Also, hungering and thirsting after righteousness means that we don't eat that which ruins our appetite. Sin is like a poison that stops us wanting to eat. And so we avoid sin like the plague. We know that only righteousness satisfies. And so we long to eat only of that and not of the things which ruin our appetite. Jesus promises filling for those who hunger and thirst. And over time, as we continue to eat, we are filled more and more with righteousness as we conform to his will. So what about if you've lost your appetite? How do you get it back? Well, the best way is to begin to start eating again. But just like if you haven't eaten for ages, you're not going to be able to eat a five-course banquet, perhaps don't commit straight away to saying, right, I'm going to read for a whole hour tomorrow. Maybe start small and build up. But start something and build up. When we looked at uh, the Beatitude of Mourning, uh, we talked about the fact that we mourn over our own sin and we mourn over sin in the world around us. It goes beyond our own holiness, uh, our own sin. And so too with this righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness goes beyond our own righteousness to those in the world around us. We should hunger and thirst for righteousness everywhere. And we could uh, call this social righteousness. Christians long not just for themselves to be right with God, but for the world around us to be right with God. This is it's fundamental to who we are. It's what the Great Commission is all about, isn't it? When we see the world around us, devastated by sin, we mourn, but we hunger and thirst for, that, for their righteousness as well. So this means we, we share the gospel with the lost, which includes words and includes deeds more of which we will see in the next beatitude about being merciful. But we long for the world around us to be right with God. So this means we are involved with promoting righteousness where we can in the world around us. That includes praying for our government and for our MPs, that they would promote what is right according to God's word. We should promote civil rights, protections for children, Justice in law courts, integrity in business dealings, and so on. And throughout history of the church, Christians have always been involved in those areas. Now, we're not going to make this earth the perfect kingdom of God. We know that. 
But Martin Luther once said, if you can't make the world pious, do what you can. And I think there's wisdom in that. But where social righteousness should be most filling is in the life of the church. The church is a body of believers who have been made right with God and are being made holy by God. And they work together in doing so. The church is like a foreign embassy. It's it's an outpost of heaven in a hostile world. And within the embassy of heaven, the church, we should see the kind of society that is righteous. Now we have to admit that the church is not always right. We have to admit that mistakes are made. We're being made righteous. And we know that sin happens within the church. But the church is where righteousness ought to be promoted and lived out as a community in the community. It should be, even if it's not a great big taste of, at least a small taste of heaven as we meet together as a body. There is something fundamentally wrong about someone who claims to be a Christian and doesn't want to be part of the church. A Christian is someone who is hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And if they are, then they will want to be with God's people. So again, how is your appetite in this area? Are you longing for, as we'll see more clearly uh, next week, righteousness in the world around us and in our community? Are you longing for being with God's people in prayer, at prayer meetings, in house groups and on Sundays? You can gauge the hunger and thirst for righteousness within the church by how well the church is in prayer meetings and other services being attended by those who are its members. Perhaps some of us need to recognise in this beatitude that perhaps we've been hungering and thirsting after something else instead. The church is an outpost of heaven, but it's not the real thing. It's like the embassy. People that work in the embassy don't want to live there forever. They eventually want to go back to their own country. But one day, things will be different. Different with God's people, different with the world around us, because there'll be perfect righteousness. And the final righteousness that we hunger and thirst for is future righteousness. Righteousness is something which one day we won't just have legally, but it's something we will also have completely uh, socially and morally as well. This beatitude is is a promise as well. Those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness now will one day be filled completely. Listen to these verses which look forward and describe and describe heaven. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter there, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13, describes the new heaven and the new earth as a place where righteousness dwells. And then listen to this from Revelation chapter 7. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is in the future. And Christians should be longing for this. Uh, We talked about this again when we looked at mourning. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus talked about when the bridegroom goes away, the bride fasts, longing for the bridegroom to come. And we see the same thing here. Jesus talks there of of fasting as a homesickness for God. And we do so because we long for that heavenly home. We long for the return of Christ when these things will be fully realized. Are you hungry and thirsty for heaven? Does heaven ever enter your mind at all? If not, could it be that you've ruined your appetite somewhat with too much of the nibbles of this world? As uh, C.S. Lewis once said, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we are made for another world. The new heaven and the new earth, which will completely satisfy. Often uh, we hunger and thirst for this future righteousness when we're suffering. And this is where this promise is so wonderful. They shall be filled. A Christian who is suffering, we can look them in the eyes and show them the scripture. And we can say, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. And one day, this will be all over. We'll be completely filled. The hunger and thirst for heaven will be filled. Our place there is secure because we have legal righteousness. And the more we hunger and thirst for it now the more glorious it will be when we finally taste its goodness. Again, as we consider these Beatitudes, let's end by looking at Jesus. There is a sense uh, with, with Jesus that he never had to hunger and thirst after legal righteousness. He has always been the perfect son of God. Christ was also morally righteous too. He had never sinned. But Jesus did know what it was like to hunger and thirst. In the desert, when he was tempted, we read in Matthew chapter 4 that he was hungry. And when we looked at that passage, we discovered that there is more going on there than just the physical hunger. The temptations were all about how Jesus was going to satisfy his hunger physically and spiritually. Was he going to follow God's will or his own? or his own desires. But Jesus in the desert hungered and thirsted after righteousness. And at the end of the passage, we saw him filled as the angels attended him. In the temptation, he goes where we go on our behalf and succeeds where we failed. But on the cross, one of the cries on the cross, Jesus cried out was, I thirst. And again, as with the hunger in the desert, there's more going on than a physical thirst. Yes, he was physically thirsty, but what's going on, which is more, is that he became thirsty, so we never have to thirst again. He hungered and thirsted for our righteousness, so we could be filled. Jesus hungered and thirsted for our righteousness, so we could be filled. And as we come to Jesus, we're continually filled and will be continually filled 
for all eternity. Now this beatitude is a bit of a paradox in a way, isn't it? We're told that we're blessed if we hunger and thirst for righteousness continually and we will be filled. But as we eat and drink, we continue to hunger and thirst. But the point is here, Jesus provides a well that never dries up and bread from heaven that never runs out. And we are always satisfied as we come to him to eat and to drink of the righteousness that he imparts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, we're going to respond in song. Uh, first of all, is uh, the first song is a prayer, <clears throat> asking God uh, to breathe on us that we would be like him. That should be what we're longing for, to be like Jesus. Breathe on me, breath of God. And then thinking of our future righteousness, we're going to sing a song um, that reminds us of the place where hunger and thirst will die as we're filled by Jesus continually. So let's stand and sing these last two songs.